Welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. Echo is a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who love Jesus, love hanging out, and are navigating the ups and downs of our faith together. We're glad you're here. We're now in our series called Journey of the Redeemed. It's a study in the book of Luke, and as we explore the life of Jesus, we also examine our own journeys shaped by him. One of the things I did over the holidays, which is not normal for me, is I watched football because I don't know if you guys felt the spirit in the city this weekend, but Cincinnati was very excited because the University of Cincinnati football team, they went, they were undefeated. They were the first non, what is it? Not, okay, for you. They were the first of of the not of the big leagues, right? To get into the playoffs. And they, you know, I, I just talked to so many people who were like, I didn't go to UC, but like you feel it in the city. You get really excited. And there was people that I know who got to go to the game. And while they lost and that was sad, it was the accomplishment that got them there, that they were undefeated until the bowl game. And I am from Kentucky. So Southeastern Conference, always rooting against Alabama. But It was a fun game. It was just fun to see the city get excited and to see people cheering their team. Because that's the thing. Something about a team, even if you're cheering for one, it brings you together, right? You feel connected to other people. But especially if you're on that team, and I hope that you have been in groups, whether it's a team or whether you were part of a band or played in an orchestra or served on a a council. You know, there's something about a team spirit that can bond people together. And so I want to read a quote from the senior quarterback, Desmond Ritter. He said, Coach Fick has always talked about trusting the journey, trusting the process. And that's exactly what it's been for myself and my teammates. With the outside pressure on us, we still won a conference championship, still went undefeated in our regular season, and we're thrilled where we got. And so, as you might imagine, they're facing these ups and downs. And as the interview continued, he kept saying the word, my brothers, and we're, we're this brotherhood. And this team when they're winning and when they face the loss together, they felt like a family. In fact, offensive coordinator Mike Denbrock said, this is truly a family of football players, not just a football team. They support and they play for each other. And that's a pretty strong, strong bond to have. And it leads to a lot of success that these guys have enjoyed. And they said that the coach, you know, they've done service projects together. They try to like hang out beyond the field, right? Because there's something about being a part of a team and a group that can just give you the strength. And maybe, maybe you need that strength in your life when, when maybe sometimes the household you grew up in maybe wasn't always the most supportive place. So sometimes we find and create family outside of the family we were born into. And that is what our topic is today. Because last week, we discussed the end of Jesus' childhood that we read about in Scripture. Jesus was age 12, and we saw that he went to the temple with his parents in Jerusalem. And then it was Passover. So many people were gathered together together. And so Jesus' parents 
headed back home with a big group of people, probably family and friends who were also from Nazareth, who had made this special trip. And they're on this journey, and it takes them like 24 hours to realize Jesus isn't there. And there was a whole ordeal searching for him. They didn't know where he was for like three days. And this 12-year-old's hanging out back in Jerusalem. He's going to talk about God. He's going to hang out with the, the teachers of the law and discuss with them, maybe debate with them, talk about scripture together. And Mary and Joseph, they had some heartburn over that, as you can imagine. If you lose a child, the fear, the worry. And Jesus is like, I have to be in my father's house. Did you not know that? And they didn't really grasp. It says the parents, they didn't marry Joseph. Even though they had been given a message by an angel that this is the son of God, and yet still his actions confused them. But it said Jesus, he submitted to their authority. They're his parents, earthly parents. And he went back home with them. And then we don't know anything for 18 years. We hear nothing. We don't know. But we assume that Jesus during that time, just like all the Jewish people in his culture, family was a priority. Jesus was the firstborn. And so he might have, as we imagine, followed in his father's footsteps. Joseph, it says, we often hear he was a carpenter. That word could have been translated stonemason, which might give you a different kind of picture in your mind, but still like building things, right? Like that was his trade. So we're assuming Jesus is learning that alongside him. And at some point we don't hear of Joseph anymore. So sometime in those 18 years, he's passed away. There was grief in that household and Jesus was the oldest son. So therefore his responsibility toward his mother, toward his siblings Just think about all that he was taking on in this household he was placed in as an earthly man. And now we get to Jesus. He's age 30 or so at this point. He's begun his ministry. We've read through some of these early sermons he preached, some of the first healings that he did. And now we get to this story. But I wanted us to follow up Jesus, age 12 from last week, with this story because it's intriguing. We are in our series called Journey of the Redeemed, and we have come to a new segment, and we've got it here, Strengthen the Feeble, Steady the Knees. All of our subtitles come from Isaiah 35, and we named it such because Jesus is going to be, he's going to be healing people, strengthening, right? But he's going to be studying his disciples. He's going to be teaching them with every experience they have. He's going to teach them how to lead. This is an important part of what he's doing here in these years of ministry. So every interaction, I want us to think about who was healed and saved and also who was strengthened and challenged to grow. Because we're going to see spiritual growth in every scenario. So here, Luke 8 We're going to be reading verses 19 through 21. We'll have the scripture on the screen here for us today. And let's see this interaction with Jesus and his family. Now, Jesus's mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. As we've talked about before, Jesus would go places. He word has spread. People want to hear him. People want to be healed by him. He's always got people around him, right? It takes him a while to escape people. So he's in this, and another scenario says it might have been in a house. So people are crammed in. His his mom, his brothers, they're outside somewhere, and they can't get in to see him. 
Someone told him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. And Jesus replied, my brother and my mother are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Okay, so we see that's a very short scenario, right? But isn't there so much there? Can you feel that? Can you feel the weight of of what Jesus just did? Jewish culture, as we said, this family is your priority. And yet Jesus is choosing a different priority here. And so with one bit of a sentence, just a little words here, he's giving a different tone. First of all, he didn't sin. Jesus was perfect. So this choice is not sinful to say, at this moment, I'm not going to go outside. I'm going to stay here. That was not a sinful choice. Jesus is also saying, you know, my priority is this healing, this teaching that I've been doing, spending time with those who follow God, who want to learn more, who want to obey. Jesus is showing this is what I'm here for. And this is what I need to do right now. He spent 30 years taking care of his family, being a part of that household. But he had something else to do now. And his mother and his brothers, maybe, maybe they questioned that. Maybe they felt neglected. We don't know what all they were feeling. But you can imagine, you know, even if you grew up in the best household, right? Like, when you were at a certain point, you start making choices that are different than maybe what your parents chose. And that's, that's okay. That's life. We're all supposed to start to figure out who we are. We're supposed to figure out how we are going to serve God and live in this world and our calling and purpose. And, and that changes over time. But it probably doesn't look exactly like where you grew up. Probably not exactly like anyone else you know. And even the best people who love us dearly can look and wonder, hmm, are you doing that right? Are you sure? Are you sure you want to do that? And now sometimes, sometimes their questions are, are valid. We're not perfect people ourselves. We're not Jesus. We're not going to get it right 100% of the time. So there's times you can look back and be like, my parents questioned that and I probably should have listened to them. But there's other times where hopefully what Mary and Jesus' brothers learned was hopefully they looked and they were like, oh, yeah, okay, I get it. I get it now. And maybe it takes a while, right? It's not always going to happen for all of our families overnight. But even in the best of situations and healthy relationships, there's still a bit, it's a bit of sadness when you like leave the house. You know, my daughter's sitting right here. She's a sophomore in high school. And I'm already thinking about the day she walks out and heads to her own destiny, right? That's going to hurt. It's going to be a little sad. So people, they kind of feel that bond and they have a claim over them. But Jesus, Jesus is saying something. He's also looking at the people who were there with him in that room and he's giving them value because if the Jewish family system was so highly valued and loved and lifted up in that culture, Then if Jesus looks around and says, you are my mother, you are my brothers, what does that say to the people hearing his words? Do you feel that value that they just received? That Jesus is like, I claim you. I will speak up for you. 
You're not just my, my pals, my neighbors, my coworkers. I'm calling you as part of my team. You are my family if you obey the word of God. That was a powerful statement. And Jesus, through all of his ministry, he keeps pushing those doors wider. Do you see it? Anyone who obeys the word of God, it doesn't matter what their family of origin was. It doesn't matter what they might have done two minutes ago. If they decide, if we decide to obey the word of God, follow after Jesus, he calls us his family. Now, I wanted to show a little picture here because we watched this movie this weekend because everybody was raving about it. And truly, if you want to think about family dynamics and figuring out even the people that love you don't always fully understand you, check it out. Now, other people, and I know some of you hearing these words, others of you Maybe your family looks a little different. Maybe you sit around the table and you're worried about who's going to stab you in the back, like the TV show Succession. So don't, don't fear. Let's talk now about some of you who don't have the healthiest family relationship, because that's what we're going to address too, because I feel like Jesus can understand. Let's look into the book of Mark, which is another one of the gospels that tells us the life of Jesus, and we get just a little bit more of a picture of what Jesus was dealing with. So Luke just tells us that Jesus is saying, I'm not going to step outside right now. Mark says, when Jesus entered a house, again, a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him for they said, he is out of his mind. They went to take charge of him. This is a 30-year-old man. And they're like, nope, this guy has lost it. That is why they showed up to the crowded house. Gives us a little different picture, doesn't it? So maybe when Jesus is saying these words, he fully knows they don't get it. They are not understanding why he's making these decisions, why he's opening the door to God's gospel to more and more people. They don't understand why he's wandering around and teaching, why he's healing. They don't get it. And so Jesus, he had to set some boundaries. But now look at this. He doesn't rip into them, does he? He doesn't use the platform to degrade anyone, to just make fun of them for not getting who he was. He and his family are not seeing eye to eye right now, but he is respecting them. He's just saying, that's not for me right at this moment. He set his boundaries. He's showing respect and he's speaking positively about the people he does choose to have in his circle at this moment. So I feel like that's a great, great model for us because I know, I know that some of you have, you've experienced actual harm from those who are supposed to care for you. And others of you have been mocked because you chose to follow Jesus and to live for him and to try to live out your faith in a way that they don't understand And so I hope you find encouragement here 
that it's okay. It's okay to set some boundaries, to stick with the priorities to serve Jesus, and to just respectfully step away. Jesus is a great model for us. And you know what? We do see some hope because in Acts chapter 1, Luke, who is our author of the book of Luke, also wrote the book of Acts and tells us this little piece of information and from it we can gather something. It says the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. Jesus had died. He rose again. He spent days and days with those he loved, and then he went back up into heaven. And this was the apostles coming back and figuring out, how do, we, how do we live now? And they began the church. And it says, who did they join together with? They joined together in prayer along with all the apostles, the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Somewhere along the way, Mary and his brothers figured it out. They figured it out. They began to believe. And they served as the founding people of the church. They were those who went out and told others that Jesus was the Son of God, that Jesus brought salvation. That was the point of the church. It's the point of the church. And they were a part of it. So I feel like that must mean that part of what gave them that change of heart was the way Jesus dealt with them, with the way Jesus was respectful growing up, was the way he was respectful when he said, this is not my priority right now, was the way he moved on and demonstrated with his life the way to live and love God. That gives us hope. That gives us hope. Now, there's another section of scripture we're going to read today because if Jesus has chosen his followers and says, we're family, how does he respond to that family? He takes care of his family, just like I'm sure he took care of his household growing up. So we're going to read a story now about when Jesus took care of his disciples, his chosen family. Luke 8, verses 22 through 25. It says this, one day Jesus said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got in a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. Stop there. Jesus fell asleep. Jesus was human. I know I have really enjoyed the last couple of weeks because my child has not been in school. I don't have to set an alarm. I work from home. I sleep. It's been my favorite gift this holiday season. Jesus slept. He was human. He rested Let's follow his example. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. Great danger. This is the same word used when Jonah had a storm and then they threw him over the side of the boat. Like it's a storm. Like they really could die here. This is, this is true. The disciples went and woke Jesus up saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up. And he rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where's your faith? He asked the disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Now, 
I did read those words in the way I was trying to imagine. Because I, sometimes I used to read this story and I could hear all the storm. And then I could just, then like, I just read it where Jesus was like, where's your faith? Like, he's as angry as the storm. But now when I'm reading it, I'm like, I don't, I don't feel that. Because he's just calmed everything down. There was a lot of fear and loudness and the threat of death and all of the anger of nature. And when he calmed it, just think he, he'd already he addressed their fears and now I think he just kind of looked at their faith and was like, where is it? This was a learning opportunity. This was Jesus mentoring these disciples. And I think he asked that question. In my mind, I see two things. I see I see it as a challenge, kind of like, hey, where, where's your faith? You've got this. I think you believed in the disciples more than they believed in themselves. We've talked about that before, how important it is to have people who believe in you when you don't believe in yourself. And I think Jesus was like, you can survive this. I believe you can. Where's your faith? Let's go. I think it's a challenge. And number two, I think it's, I think it's a plea. I think Jesus was like, Guys, I'm right here. I'm in the boat. Where's your faith? Put it in me. I got this. I'm right here. Now, I'm not, not a boat person. I don't go out very often in boats. And I don't even know why I do have this fear of being stranded in open water. That freaks me out. Like, even reading this story, I'm like, let me go through it really fast. Because I don't really want to envision myself in their shoes. So I can imagine this disciples being very fearful. But Jesus, he recognized the fear that they had, and he addressed it. Now, maybe it wasn't in the timing they expected. I don't know how long he slept. I don't know how he slept. He must have been really tired to sleep through all of that. But I do feel that in his time, he was caring about their fears, caring about their lives, his chosen family. Now, we have to also notice that I don't think that having faith in Jesus means that they don't use what's at their hand. If you're going to go on a boat, it's good to know how to swim or have a life jacket or check the boat and make sure it is a sturdy vessel to be in. There are, there are practical things and resources and tools at our hand that we should use. That is a gift. That is part of our faith, is to use what God has handed to us. But then, God's presence, Jesus being with us, that internal strength. Those are resources we need, too. We need external and internal. And you know what? Jesus calmed the storm that day. But at some point, each one of them, they faced a storm that they didn't recover from. Because they've all passed away. At some point, there was a storm that they did not survive. So this lesson wasn't just about in the moment and living or dying. It was about, it was about who they were going to live for. And who they were going to cling to for the storm that they can survive and the one that would send them into eternity. We're all going to face storms. We've all survived storms already. I know. I know you're here and hearing these words and you're thinking of a storm you have survived. 
someday there'll be one that we want. So we got to look around and, and see who we're placing our faith in. We've got to figure out who we're going to hold on to. Because to be honest, <laughs> do you ever feel like God's asleep? I mean, let's just be honest. Like you pray and you don't see things happening the way you pray. And you pray some more and you're asking for answers and you're like, where are you, God? Do you hear me? Can you see I'm drowning? Don't you feel it? Why does it hurt so bad? Why have I lost people? Why can't I stay up at night and the voices are in my head and I can't make them stop? God, this storm is too much. I have to believe. I have to believe. I, 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 don't, have, I don't have like a silly, cheesy answer for that. I don't. That, was, that would not be honest. That would not be fair. I don't understand this ancient and eternal God. But I have to believe that when we pray, there, there are two things. That Jesus is in the boat with us. We are told that following after God, asking him into our lives, that we have God's spirit with us. So where we go, God is with us. So when you go into that storm, there is Jesus in the boat. He's in the boat. He hasn't left. And the second thing, I believe that God does hear and respond to our prayers. Did you know that even when we don't see the exact answer, Sometimes we do, though, right? Like, sometimes we're like, we pray and we see an answer and it feels like a miracle. And other times, we have to know that the miracle is God's presence. Jesus prayed the night before he went to the cross. He's like, is there any other way? Now that I'm thinking about it, is there another option about not dying tomorrow? Because maybe let's go for that one. But he died anyway. I believe God heard him. There was, it says that there was an angel present with Jesus to comfort him. I believe God was hurting for him. God made us to be like him and we have emotions. And I believe God hurts with us. So we didn't answer Jesus' prayer in the way he expected. But I believe that the answer was that God was present with Jesus. He's like, You're, we got to go through this. So I believe that sometimes the answer God gives us when we ask, what is going on? The answer is, I'm here with you. I'm in the boat. I'm right there. I'm not going to leave you. And I don't know why sometimes we get one answer and sometimes we don't, but... Let's hold on to the one that's in the boat with us. And that's, that's, that's the, we talk every week, like, what are we supposed to do? What do we get out of this message? Just hold on. Hold on. And I think just like, just like family that's supposed to be, right? Just like what you think of family being good and caring for each other. If we are called we're all here saying we follow Jesus, then we are family. 
And there's going to be times when I, if it feels like that I don't feel God's presence, I'm going to need your presence in my life. Because you're showing up and being Jesus to me and me to you, and we need one another. There's going to be moments where I can't hold on anymore. I need you to hold on for me. And I'll hold on for you. Jesus is with us, and we're all in this boat together, and we are his chosen family. And he cares. He wants us to survive. He wants us to hang on. He wants us to live with him for eternity. So let's hold on to him and hold on for and to one another. This new year, I, I don't know what it brings, but we've got each other. We need it. Let's pray. God, it's hard to admit that it's scary. Life is scary. Maybe that's easy to admit. It's hard to admit to you and you're an invisible God and we want to feel strong and we feel very weak. So thank you for giving us each other, your presence in other people. Thanks for giving us you to hold on to and other people to hold on to because we need it. You know our tomorrows and you know how many we have. We'll hold on to you till we get there. Thank you, Lord, for being present with us. Amen. Thank you for the gift of your attention today. If you ever want to join Echo Church in person, we meet on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood of Cincinnati, Ohio, just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. Have a great week.